So the balloon thing, Jeff. I was going to ask you about that. Balloons pop up on my screen. Yeah, there they go again. It is to the degree now. I'm not even kidding you because I think all you guys are messing with me or maybe it's just BK behind the scenes. It is to the degree, though, that I uh, was on a Zoom call with Jesse L. Martin, who is an actor you may know. Oh, yeah. Law and Order. Law and Order. Things like that. He's got a new NBC series, I think. Really cool dude. We're talking about his uh, new movie that's premiering at the Austin Film Festival this weekend. Whenever he popped on, I'd been on the screen for a couple minutes. As soon as he came onto the Zoom call, and this is Zoom. You and I, use we use StreamYard here at Texas Sports Unfiltered. Yeah. I also had balloons cropping up on my video. I have no idea how this is happening. It is not me doing it. If it was me doing it, I would stop it immediately because I am not a balloons sort of guy necessarily. Right. But- this is something that's now transcended any other person who is a part of these broadcasts. <laughs> yeah, I was I was going to ask you about that because it just seems to happen at random times. So, uh, Jake, you said Greg Oden's knees. I think you mean Greg Oden's liver, right? Ooh, that was the uh, that was the word out of Portland with him. Is that he uh, really enjoyed that Portland nightlife while he Greg, was- Oden, Greg Oden's unit too? Apparently, or when he got sent a junk pick to a young lady. Mm. yeah it happens that when greg odin did that trey i I remember that because that and the brett Favre thing happened kind of around the same time and i thought you know there's certain guys i guess that that get you get to that level of notoriety that level of success and you've never been told no your whole life and you don't know how to handle it so the only risk in your mind the only rational response you can think of is i know what'll get her Unbeknownst to you that that's not at all the way that works. No, there's not. And uh, I'm reminded right now that my nine-year-old daughter is in the room for the duration of this broadcast because she's dealing with a little bit of a punishment from yesterday. So refrain from getting super vulgar here other than to say that never looks good. This goes Mm -hmm. back to Seinfeld, I believe. The the naked male body is never attractive. Mm -hmm. Nope. You have the most chiseled person on the planet. It's still gross. As I want, femininity is a beautiful thing. I think it was. Uh, I think it was Rodney Carrington that once said, "You know, God didn't spend a whole lot of time working on that part of the body. It's like he had a little pile of stuff left over and just said, well, I'll just stick that right there. See how that yeah. works out.'" <laughs> yeah, it's like somebody had silly putty and just kind of squished it for a little bit <laughs> and then just slaps it on the Kindle. Oh man, Trey! Somebody wanted to know. I think CB wanted to know in the in the chat. Uh, do your kids eat macaroni and cheese and drink Kool Aid, or have they? Mac and cheese is a regular thing when we go to Style Switch, which we do once or twice a week. They always get at least a little bit of mac and cheese to go along with some of that delicious moist brisket mm-hmm. and maybe something else, depending on the day. Kool Aid, though, not so much. But we're also not a big sugary drink family like they will have stuff from time to time usually not my doing but i don't know if we've ever had kool-aid in the house before my you know my daughter's a a lemonade drinker like if we go out to restaurant or something like that Hmm. but other than that i mean it's she's pretty much water maybe maybe orange juice for breakfast every now and then but not a lot of not not the kind of crap that i drank when i was a kid i know that be careful. Yeah. It's just a completely set a different set of circumstances in the 1980s and nineties. All vegetables were canned. 
meat was all overcooked. Yeah. It was sloppy Joe's for dinner every other night, at least in our household. And uh, people have wised up, which overall is a good thing, I think. Now, just be careful. If you all ever go to Panera, don't just blindly give her the lemonade there because apparently they serve some sort of like super caffeinated lemonade. Oh, really? That if you don't realize what it is that you're getting, you're going to end up with uh, quite the jolt of energy. And I only know that because Panera is getting sued from uh, by the family of a, a young lady who had a heart issue and drank this lemonade thinking it was just lemonade, but it's like got 10 times the amount of caffeine as Mountain Dew. Good and Lord. So suffered a, a cardiac issue and died. Yeah. It's like four loco making lemonade or what? <laughs> Seems like it. Jeez. Seems like it. I don't know about you, Jeff. I, I, I can probably assume about you that this isn't the case. I've, Spent a strange amount of emotional capital on this Friday, and it's on something that isn't necessarily deserving of emotional capital, but sometimes you just can't help yourself. Mm-hmm. What's that? So I had to watch the movie that I talked with Jesse Martin about a little bit earlier, and it kind of has a big chill vibe about it, this film. It's called Reuniting. Okay. Um, so it's these people in their middle ages coming together for a reunion with a group that they were really good friends with back in college. And like with the big chill, there's a bunch of big emotions that come out and big secrets come out. And man, one of the secrets that came out, it got to me where I was choking back tears for the last three minutes of this movie shed tears at one point. This is at like nine 30 in the morning. And so you know, wipe the tears away and get ready. Go out to Covert BK for the Trey and BK broadcast and the uh, the meetup with uh, the Longhorn Norman Watkins out there today. Yeah. Thank you, Norman. And uh, thank you to Covert BK, of course, for hosting as well. But yeah, I find myself exhausted right now. I, I'm not somebody who, gosh, I may cry once or twice a year at the most. So to cry first thing in the morning on a Friday, yeah. I've got World Series game one to go before this day is over with. I don't know if I can handle it. I was going to say 9.30 in the morning, Friday or not, that's usually when you're everybody's, you're kind of settling in to work, you know? I got back to the gym, I got my coffee, and I watched this movie thinking nothing of it, and all of a sudden I'm just like wiping tears away by the time it gets to 9.30, 9.45. Not good. I'll I'll tell you the last time that happened to me, uh... Uh, and I, I know exactly what you're talking about too. Like that situation where you don't you don't expect it, right? It just it just happens, and you're like, "The hell's wrong with me?" Uh, it was an episode of Yellowstone. It was in season two, and before that show kind of jumped the shark. And I've just stopped. I don't even know if there's a new season on now. I just kind of stopped paying attention. Uh, but it was an episode where Kevin Costner, his dad, the patriarch of the family. He had spoiler for those of you who haven't seen Yellowstone season two. His dad has cancer. It's like a flashback. His dad having cancer and him taking all him on uh on like one last horseback ride through like the you know the ranch and everything. And it's playing this Chris Stapleton song in the background, and his dad's giving him like some last advice and telling him a story. And I'm just like, before I know it, I'm like a bubble blubbering mess to where my wife is like, Are are, are you are you okay? I'm like, I don't know, like just just hit me all of a sudden. Sometimes so, it does. Yeah. The, the dad thing will sometimes get to me too. Now, uh, is your father still around? No. No. Okay. Was that probably part of it then? Probably, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Cause this movie enters a pantheon of about 
three to four other films that I've cried at in my life. And none of them are sports movies. None of them are the obvious answer. No um, Brian song league of their own. No, no Brian song, no league of their own, no field of dreams, no old yeller, but the movies for me are big fish, which I definitely didn't expect. Royal Tenenbaums. Don't laugh. Turner and Hooch. Uh, I can see that. Yeah. Okay, good. Because they should have killed the Tom Hanks character. Let the dog live. Killed the Tom Hanks character. Okay. And now this movie. And uh, yeah. So congratulations, I guess, to the filmmakers behind Uniting. You got me to cry. Sorry, sorry to those of you who haven't watched Turner and Hooch yet. Uh, <laughs> I'm spoiler, sorry. Dad. Spoiler from 1988. I was I was gonna guess eighty eight or eighty nine. You've had enough time. You've had twenty. You've had thirty five years at this point. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> man. Brian's song is one of those movies. that's like a. It, I think that always kind of brings something out of you. You know. So Brian's song before I ever saw it, it's kind of like Titanic. Although I've never seen Titanic, but it was kind of like Titanic where I'd heard so much about it that there was no way it was going to have that impact on me. Right. Uh, my brother laughed at the end of Brian's song. I don't know, like towards, yeah, I don't know what that says about my brother, but it's a little bit sadistic, but we all laugh inappropriately. <laughs> For many of us do my daughter, whenever she gets shots, she laughs. Whenever I see horror movies, like I may get a little bit queasy if it's really over the top, but I tend yeah. to laugh at the absurdity of it all too. The last really good laugh I had was watching cocaine bear. Do you see cocaine bear? It's in the queue. I literally started watching it a couple nights ago, and I made it five minutes in and started to get tired. But I, I have heard too many good things about this not to watch it. I had one of those laughs where I'm laughing. I'm laughing so hard that I can't catch my breath, and I feel like I'm about to black out. That's a, those are the good laughs. Heck yeah. Now, Elizabeth Banks not only directed that, she stars in it too, correct? She is. Ooh, I'm trying to remember. Is she in it? I don't think she's in it, no. Oh, okay. Or maybe in a very small role. Yeah, I can't. I honestly can't remember off the top of my head if she was in it or not. If she was, it was a it was a bit it was a bit part in it. She's not one of them featured. Okay, I'm just now looking at the cast. Ooh, Carrie Russell, big fan. Yes, Cube Son, Ray Liotta, Isaiah Whitlock. He's solid. I haven't thought about Carrie Russell since like 1997. So, props to her for. She was great in uh, The Americans, that FX yeah. show. Yeah. Quality program there. Props to her for making an appearance on Cocaine Bear. Made my wife a, made my wife watch Blazing Saddles. Good call. I don't know how, how well that went over for her, especially <laughs> around this time when everything is cancelable. That's That movie certainly doesn't make the cut. Yeah, you couldn't... Uh... Blazing Saddles, Tropic Thunder is another movie that you couldn't couldn't make right now. See, I feel like you could make Tropic Thunder right now because it is straight satire. Like it's making fun of the absurdity of Hollywood, right? Okay. Yeah, okay. Like white chicks. People say, and I interviewed Marlon Wayans and asked him about this, about if he thinks he could remake white chicks. And he said yes, because the biggest fans of white chicks were the people that were being satirized. It was the okay. soror- white sorority girls loved that movie more than anybody else. I got you. So it's kind of like why uh, why the roast is still acceptable, an acceptable form of comedy. I think that's a good way to put it, although I feel like the roast is has kind of gone underground. Like they do roast around town. I'm 
I get emails from all the comedy clubs in town. Yeah. So they do still host roast battles, but as far as the roast of Charlie Sheen, Hugh Hefner, Snoop Dogg, like name name the person, Donald Trump. Comedy Central doesn't do those anymore, do they? No, like when it, when it started, like James Franco, Justin Bieber, when you started roasting people that really didn't need to be roasted. Yeah. Like when, when the honestly, God rest his soul, the roast of Bob Saget was probably the pinnacle hmm. of the roasts. I don't remember that one. Greg Giraldo, Gilbert Gottfried, like your usual, your usual roast masters were, were a part of that one. Oh, have you not seen the Saget roast? I don't think so. Oh, Trey, you got to put that one in the queue. Okay. That was excellent. I can do that. John Stamos hosted it. Yeah. Uh, Stamos and him are obviously really good friends from Full House and Beyond. I'm assuming Jeff Ross was a part of it, not just because he's the Roastmaster General, but he and Saget were also good friends. I'm trying to think if that, oh man, because there was a while where Jeff Ross was doing costumes. I'm trying to think if he was... Was he dressed up like Joe Paterno or <laughs> Monarch Gaddafi? I can't remember. It was either Gaddafi or Joe Paterno that he was dressed like. Was Anthony Jeselnik a part of it? <sighs> I think he was. Yeah, I think he was part of that. He's a really good one. I'll have to go. I'll have to throw that in the Google machine and see who all was a part of that one. Tony Hinchcliffe too. So Texas. Has an interesting matchup tomorrow, Jeff. Not because I'm all that worried about BYU, but because we're going to see a new guy under center tomorrow at 2.30. That would be Malik Murphy. Lots of folks going back and forth this week on what they expect to see out of Malik, what they think the game plan might be tomorrow. Coming from Steve Sarkeesian, not just that initial script, but how things play out throughout the course of the afternoon. Where are you with what you expect from Malik Murphy tomorrow? I think we'll see a lot of the signatures that we see in a Steve Sarkeesian offense that we've come to know the Sark offense. The deep ball is not going to not going to be out of the game plan. Uh, I had an interesting conversation this week, Trey, with somebody connected to a, a staff that's already already played Texas, scouted Texas, uh, and and did their best to scout you know, quarterbacks other than Quinn Ewers, which if you're, if you're, if you're trying to find tape on Malik Murphy and Arch Manning, you're basically down to like spring game tape and high school stuff. And this stuff felt like Malik Murphy, you know, the difference between like say Malik Murphy and Quinn Ewers was Quinn can throw with, he can throw it with velocity. We can throw it with a little touch too. Uh, they felt like Malik was in that category of guys that, very, very, very few guys in terms of how quickly he can put the ball on people, hmm. how fast it gets out of his hands. And I won't I won't say the names of the programs, but they felt like, hey, there's there's several Big 12 schools that would trade their starter right now for Malik Murphy. Like there's there's thoughts around the league that he's that good. I think we're I think the main thing you'll see, because they are kind of high risk throws anyway. I think a lot of the intermediate stuff over the middle, which Sark really doesn't do a whole lot of that anyway. He's just now gotten to the point within the last, you know, starting this year, late last year, where he was letting Quinn do some of that stuff. So I think what you'll see, Trey, if you go back to, you know, like the Louisiana Monroe game last year, uh, you know, that first quarter of the Alabama game, the first couple of games, Quinn coming back from injury, it'll look a lot like that type of game plan. 
I think, where it's a lot of vertical stuff. It's either going to be short, high percentage throws or your deeper stuff. I don't think they're going to mess around with the intermediate game. A whole well, I hope we see the run pass balance skew a little bit more in favor of the run for this offense tomorrow. I'm also not going to be surprised to see the first play of the game something along the lines of play action allowing Malik Murphy to try and hit Xavier Worthy deep. Just to I, just yeah. to start and try and help Malik Murphy get whatever butterflies may exist out of his stomach and then just get with the rest of the game plan from there. I can see both sides of it. I can see doing that makes sense. I can also see not doing it because we might uh, under that cir- those circumstances, we might find out how far Malik Murphy can throw a football. <laughs> you know, and with the with the with the adrenaline's pumping and the juice flowing, we might we might find that out. Oh, I'm uh, in the category of people that once start to give Malik Murphy really easy throws yeah. early on, not just in terms of the throw, but also like easy decisions that he gets to make. Yeah. And then gradually work him up to where you're working more of the field, both the intermediate, the middle of the field, uh, through intermediate to deep, and then obviously those deep balls along the sidelines too. Like they're not going to completely shut the passing game down and, and throw no. everything around the line of scrimmage. That's not Steve Sarkeesian style. I don't think that's healthy either. But a key tomorrow, because you have one of the leading rushers in college football and a true freshman who complements that stud running back really well with C.J. Baxter, who's now as healthy as he's been since week one. Like, run the ball more and let yeah. your quarterback operate off of play action. That eases the pressure off of him that much more. Now, every throw doesn't need to be off of play action, of course, but mix a fair amount of that in, please. Yeah, I mean, Sark's offense is an RPO-based offense anyway, and, and you know, I know they do work a lot of RPOs, so, but your your RPO game is much better when you can run the football effectively, which to me, let me, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me back up, make one more point about what we're talking about just in general with, with the offense. So Malik will be the fourth quarterback that we've seen run Sark's offense at Texas, right? So we've seen Hudson Card, we've seen Casey Thompson, we've seen Quinn, and now we'll see Malik Murphy. And the first three guys we can go back and look and like there's different things that all three of those guys do, right? None of the three have the same skill sets, but you can go back and if you think back enough, there's stuff that crosses over where regardless of who the quarterback was, there was stuff that was in the game plan. I don't I don't think that's going to change with Malik Murphy. I think you'll play to his strengths a little bit more, which is his ability to push the ball down the field, but you'll still see some of the, it'll look like the Sark offense. It's not going to look like something just completely unfamiliar that we haven't seen. So I don't, I don't think there should be any worry about that, but the group I'm looking for Trey is the offensive line to, to step up. And, you know, they were on the watch list for the Joe Moore award last week. Now take watch list for whatever they're worth. If you're going to play for a Big 12 championship at this point, because we don't know exactly how long Quinn's going to be out, probably I'd say at least two weeks, maybe upwards of a month, you're going to have to play like that kind of offensive line. You're going to have to maximize every snap. So that group's got to be better. I mean, they didn't – it's not like they just lined up and just rolled Houston backwards off the line of scrimmage and had guys on skates all day. It was actually pretty much the opposite. It was either stalemates or you were losing battles. So – They've got to keep Malik Murphy upright and keep him confident. And as tough as Jonathan Brooks has been to bring down and as explosive as C.J. Baxter looked last week, those guys are going to be much better if they're not having to fight through tackles right at the line of scrimmage. If you can give them a couple yards to work with and then 
let them go be an athlete in space and and let them, you know, miss tackles and maximize runs and do what we've seen them do. That offensive line is is the group for me though, Trey. That that group has got to be better. I ex- I don't expect Malik Murphy to be perfect. I do expect the offensive line to be much better than they were against Houston. Jake Majors was still pretty hurt when he sucked it up and played last weekend yeah. because Cole Hudson had a setback with his recovery. Do you think we see Jake Majors at center this week, or is this a week that because Hudson seems to be healthy enough that they insert him as center and have Majors on the sideline just in case? You know, I I would think so. If I was the staff, I probably would have put – last week I would have put Jake Majors in the same category that they had Jaday Barron. Right. Which was let him travel, let him go through pregame, but only if – it's an absolute dire emergency. Are we going to use him? Uh, you could tell he wasn't hundred percent. You could tell he wasn't right. But I figure, like after that one game, unless he had some kind of setback this week or just wasn't feeling it. No, I, th- I think you'll see. I think you'll see Jake majors at this point. Okay. And I think, I think he was in that group tray last week of the guys that like, Hey, let's, let's play him. But you know, if we get a lead, like we'll, we'll get Connor Robertson in there. I just, it's a slippery slope as a staff when you start thinking that way. It is a dangerous game that you play. I agree with that, but sometimes it's necessary. Sometimes it's necessary against good opponents where it's like, this guy's really hurt right now. Like I think in retrospect, Texas might've been better off not playing Jatavian Sanders at all versus OU. Mm-hmm. Like especially yeah. Once it was clear to everyone after the first couple of series that he wasn't right. Sometimes, especially elite competitive athletes sometimes the best thing you can do as a coach i know the medical staff has has, can say he's cleared sometimes the best thing you can do as a coach is just protect the guy from himself yeah i do you're 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 hurting the team because if you're a competitor you don't want to come out you know it's it takes a certain level of maturity and humility to be able to say i i can't i can't give you i'm hurting the team right now B. John Robinson was nearly decapitated his freshman year playing against Texas Tech, and he was trying to get back in that same game. Yeah, uh, but sometimes again, you you your job as a coach to just protect guys from themselves and and make the best decision. That's why that's why you're paid over five million dollars a year to make those kind of calls. So Steve Sarkeesian, while announcing Malik Murphy as the starter yesterday, was also playing coy as to whether or not Arch Manning gets into the game when the snaps are still counting a little bit more that is of course when it is still a ball game and not a blowout and mop-up duty uh have your sources given any sort of indication as to whether we can expect to see arch manning whether it's three four five uh series into this game or at all tomorrow i that's just not sark's mo trey that's just not that's just not how he's operated the arch thing is interesting because after to after tomorrow You'll be through game eight. So you'll have four games left in the regular season. This would tell me if he plays tomorrow, that would tell me that you're not planning on using him in at least one of those last four. And at that point, if you're in the Big 12 championship game, Quinn would be back for the Big 12 championship game. So you're not using him. So, I I mean, I've thought a lot about this and, you know, I, I think, I think it's one of two things. If you see Arch Manning tomorrow, either one that they feel like, Quinn will be back early enough to where this might be one of your only opportunities to get Arch into a game, or 
it'll tell you that maybe they don't feel that great about Quinn getting back as soon as they thought. So you need to get him prepared to play. I just have a really tough time. I think it would have to be a deal where Malik Murphy is just not playing well. And the offense isn't moving the ball. Like it's, it is obvious to everybody watching the game that something needs to change. You just need to do something as a change of pace. See, I think if we see Malik Murphy not playing well, Malik plays the entire first half and he gets replaced coming out of the locker room at the second half. I think yeah. Steve Sarkeesian wants to get Arch Manning into the game in the first half. Let's say four series into the game. And that becomes even easier if Malik has led this offense to a couple of touchdown drives. The defense is looking good against uh, a pretty pedestrian BYU offense. And Texas is up, let's say, 14 to nothing early in the second quarter. At that point, he can rest a little bit easier because he knows that is as big big of a dude as Malik Murphy is they're one play away from having to turn to Arch Manning and he literally has not been on the field for a college game so far in his true freshman season yeah I I see where you're coming from that just doesn't strike me as being it again Sark hasn't really been that type of guy anywhere he's been and again that's I hated that with when the whole look we Trey you and I we, we lived through we were kind of at the the height of our fandom before we got into the media industry of the the most prolific quarterback controversy this program has ever been through with Chris Sims and Major Apple. <laughs> and I I hated I hated the fact that Mac would say, "Hey, third series is going to be Major or third yeah. series is going to be Chris." Okay, and then why why would you just put an just arbitrarily put a number on it? Because what if what if you go going in you tell Arch, "Hey, the fourth series is yours." What if the four what if before that, you block a punt, and that series is on the plus 13-yard line. Well, no, I would want – what if Malik took more red zone snaps than Arch didn't practice that week? No, I would want I would want Malik Murphy on the field. Then you get into that game of, well, you, you told me I was going on the fourth series, but I'm not in on the fourth series. So I, it's it's a delicate thing, man. Sark, Sark has to be – this is the first time, Trey, where we've seen – I think we're going to see Sark be really challenged – by how he handles that quarterback group. Because I think he knew, like, he didn't recruit Casey Thompson. He didn't recruit Hudson Card. And I think everybody learned, look, after that, if, if, if Sark didn't pull Quinn in that Oklahoma State game, it's going to take, like, Quinn needing an amputation for, for him to come out of a game, for Sark to go to the backup. So uh, knowing, having that knowledge of it, this is really the first time where he's actually had a decision to make. There's been a process he's got to go through and there's got to be a certain way you handle it. And it's not about, you know, fragile egos or anything like that. It's when you get into that realm of, of making promises or telling somebody something, that's, that's the minute you get yourself in trouble. That's the minute you start, you know, the portal conversation starts kicking up for those guys. It's funny, maybe emotional capital is going to be the theme of the uh, entire Longhorn Misfits show today. We talked earlier about emotional capital and uh, spending that emotional capital. Obviously, he had more invested in Quinn Ewers than he did Hudson Card last year. And I think you can make the argument that there is more emotional capital invested in Arch Manning than there is Malik Murphy right now. Not to take away from the fact that he did recruit Malik Murphy. But I wonder if that conversation occurs. Like, if it does happen, you can't put a hard and fast number on it. You can just say, hey, look, we're looking to get you in the game. Based on how the game is going, our 
hope right now is that we get you in the game at some point in the first half. We won't know for sure until we're in that situation. And you let both guys know that. And while also making sure Malik understands, look, you're the starter right now. So don't read anything yeah. into this any more than we need to get the guy behind you a little bit of experience right now too, uh, in pre preparation of a worst case scenario, which is you going down to an injury or are you going down with an injury? Yeah. Uh, that, and that's kind of the only way you can play it, Trey. That's, that's all you have to tell Arch is look, we're, we want to get you in the game. We just need, we need you to prepare to play. That's why life as a backup quarterback is so tough. Yeah. Cause you really do have to prepare whether it's taking mental reps or you actually get some reps in practice, you got to prepare like you're going to start the game because you are one play away, but you also know, yeah, there's a pretty good chance I'm not going to play a meaningful snap in this game. Even though you have to prepare like you are, you can say that applies for everybody, but come on, let's, let's be honest and, and cut out the coach speak right at that position. Dude, if you're not prepared, you're doing yourself a disservice and you're doing your team a disservice. So it's, it, it's an it's an interesting deal, but yeah, that's really all you can tell Arch is look, we we want to get you in the game when it matters. I don't know when that's gonna be. I don't even know if it's gonna happen because it, Trey, maybe it maybe it's not that type of game. You know, maybe it's a game where you do get up, you know, 13 nothing, 10-3, 14-3, whatever it is, and maybe you give up a play on special teams or the defense has a coverage bust, and then all of a sudden BYU's the score back in it. Well, I don't want to change quarterbacks now because now Malik's lathered up a little bit and He's got a good feel for the offense, so I don't want to mess anything up. Plus, you know, you can't give momentum back to BYU, whether you believe in momentum or not. You know, you don't want to give them more. You don't want them to have, like, shark smelling blood in the water. So it's – I don't envy the position Sark is in at this point. This is like the gift and the curse with recruiting elite quarterbacks. Yeah, and you can never take these matchups for granted. But we were – way over our skis with the confidence against Houston. And those predictions felt pretty good through a quarter mm -hmm. plus last week. And then it all came crashing down. But part of that was also self-inflicted too. Oh, it was a really stupid field goal fake call. This like if they don't make that call, if they just go for it and even don't get it, I don't know if Houston takes the ball back down the field and gets it within a touchdown going into the locker room at halftime. Regardless, regardless, even if they do, Trey, even if they do, you're still up. Let's say you kick the field goal. It's it's a it's a good try by Bert Auburn. It's a 44 yard field goal. Even if Houston does take the ball and score, you're still up 10 points at halftime. Right. So even even if they get the ball coming out of half and score again, you've still got the lead. So you feel like all right, we've at least negated kind of the two for one that Houston would get with getting the ball on the last drive of the first half, first drive of the second half. So you at least negate that. But now, obviously, what happened happened and. I will say this. I'll give Sark credit for this. I, I I pick on Sark when it's warranted, but I'll give him credit when it's warranted. Uh, he took full blame for the fake field goal. Like he, well, he didn't sugarcoat. He's like, look, worked on it in practice, thought it would work. Bad call. It didn't work. And that probably helped Houston get back in the game, which, which I think it did. I don't want to put it all on one play, but yeah, we'll, I'll put it all on that one play that helped Houston get back in the game. So, but that again, Sark, I, I told when I was on with you and Katie earlier this week, I said, I hope this brings out the best in Sark. I hope we see the best version of Sark as a play caller in terms of his game management because he's going to have to be. This is going to have to be without Quinn Ewers, your margin for error is smaller. It has shrunk with a, with a new, with an inexperienced quarterback at this point in the season. You have to be at your best as a head coach, whether it's play calling, it's game management, it's, it's clock management. You, you, you can't have just complete and utter screw ups like that. See, this is 
where I get nervous with Steve Sarkeesian on the sidelines because I feel like we've seen far more often in pressure situations him all of a sudden making puzzling decisions on things. And that's why I've been advocating all week long to not overcomplicate this. Like, look at what your strength as a team is right now. Yes, I understand you have good receivers and you have a quarterback that you've helped to bring along for a couple of years now, but you also have a really good rushing attack. That's the one constant through the major change that you're having to deal with this week. I wouldn't even say I wouldn't even say run game. I think you've got one. I think you've found a guy that's a you want to use the term franchise back, whatever. I think you found an elite playmaker back there in Jonathan Brooks. And I think with what we saw to CJ Baxter last week, they complement one another really well, too. Yeah. So yeah. that is a tool in your arsenal. It's you know, it's the whole idea, you know, whether you want to call it Belichickian or or Landry or Bill Walsh, like keep running that same set of plays over and over again until your opponent can stop it. You continue to run the football, even if BYU is going to commit more guys to stopping the run, which they will. We're not going to see nearly as much three high tomorrow, at least early, unless you really force them to make that move, which is why you may see a deep shot or two early on, maybe even that first drive or very first play. Like they BYU has not proven, or they're not going to be able to prove that they can stop the run would be my guess just based on what that defense is right now and how the defense yeah. is pretty bad in general. They are worse against the run than they are against the pass. Yeah, I had, man, I had my uh, my stuff from Parker Fleming at Stats Award on Twitter. If you guys aren't following Parker Fleming on Twitter for some of your analytics stuff, he's great. Uh, you're missing out. Let me see if I can find uh, – I'll find it here in a second. But, yeah, BYU, I want to say, Trey, they're – I want to say their defensive success rate against the pass, they're something like 114th in the country. So this is not like this isn't a prolific BYU defense you're you're going against. They're bad, but one thing that they do decently is force turnovers, and that was evident from the three interceptions that they got from Texas Tech's third string quarterback last week. You could say it's third string quarterback, but they're still having to make those plays. And it was also an inexperienced guy at the signal caller position, and they were able to capitalize. Yeah, I'm trying to. I'm gonna need a minute to find uh, where the hell what the heck did I do with it? I've got like, I just got way too many tabs open on this damn thing. Hmm. Um, but I'll, I'll find it in a second. But yeah, uh, there's nothing about this uh, this BYU defense. I mean, look, they, you know, I think I think we might have mentioned it. Well, the brief time I was on with you and Katie, like they forced five turnovers, but last week, but dude, Texas Tech is a mess at the quarterback position right now. There we go. Uh, BYU defense, defensive success rate, seventy seventh overall in the country. Defensive pass success rate, one hundred fourteenth. They are thirty sixth against the run when it comes to success rate, which success rate just basically means, you know, are you staying on schedule? Uh, but that's it's a lot easier for your run game to stay on schedule when you've got backs like Brooks and Baxter and Brooks has shown this more than Baxter. Cause last week, last week's the first time we've seen CJ Baxter healthy, probably since that run he had against rice was the last time he was as healthy as he is right now. Yep. But you know, we've seen Jonathan Brooks do it where, you know, you he can maximize runs. In other words, if that thing is blocked for five, he can get you seven or eight. If it's blocked for seven or eight, he can probably get you 12. 
So that's the kind of stuff. That's like what Bijan and Roshan were doing. I, I think I'm not saying Jonathan Brooks is at, at a Bijan Robinson level, but he's at the level where you can trust it. And if I if I give him the ball, if we're in a position to give him the ball, if I'm an offensive coordinator, if I'm a play caller, and I'm in the position to give him the ball 25 to 30 times, I feel like we're going to win the football game. This is one of those games you can do that. And speaking of Steve Sarkeesian trends, he is showing a willingness to do that at times. Think back to, oh gosh, was it Bijan's sophomore year at Texas, uh, at TCU rather, where they could not get anything going through the air. And so they gave the ball to Bijan Robinson what felt like in excess of 30 times. And he was pretty banged up coming out of that game too, but they had to win that game on his shoulders. And so Steve, Steve Sarkeesian saw the need to do that, and so he did. Now, he may wish that uh, – I feel like Roshan Johnson may have been hurt in that game. But because they have two running backs, it, it seems like you can do that. Giving Jonathan Brooks the ball 25 to 30 times, maybe C.J. Baxter gets it in the 10 to 15 range. And Baxter is getting it more in the second half because he is so good at, uh, at laying that hammer – on those members of the defense who are coming up to try and tackle him. Man, I, I I like I like that balance just because now Jonathan Brooks is the kind of guy Cedric Benson was this way. The backs Texas has had, I think Cedric Benson was the best at he got better as the game went on. It's like he really needed to kind of get lathered up, get some physicality, and then really just want, it took him a little bit to get going, but once he got going, it, it was he was full go in the third and fourth quarter. I feel like Brooks is that way a little bit. Uh, so, you know, you, you don't want to completely have like two, three drives in a row where he's not involved, but this allows you to keep him a little bit fresher for the fourth quarter where maybe those runs where he's still able to, you know, maximize runs and be physical. Now he'll just be a little bit fresher when he's doing it. Now, yeah. who do you think, Malik Murphy's favorite target is going to be through the air. It's got to be X, doesn't it? I mean, because he's been your most consistent receiver. I, I feel like we don't talk about that enough as much as everybody and myself included at times just dumped on the guy, especially last year and in the first, his first two years. And I know some people don't find, you know, how he's handled threats of the portal and whatnot. And from some of the stuff that's gotten out about how him and his camp have, have handled some of those things. Well, man, you, you got to give him his props. You got to give Xavier Worthy his props. Give him his flowers for how he's handled everything. I mean, he has been your most consistent receiver. Um, pulling up his numbers from pro football focus, Trey, if you look at, again, I brought, brought the, I, I don't think we've revisited, I know we haven't revisited this uh, since the Houston game, but we did before uh, before the Houston game, just looking at his uh, his catch rate. He's at 80%. He's been targeted 50 times. He's got 40 catches this year. You look at his his reception rate in 2021 when he was really good. Uh, it was about 60%. It was at 52% last year. 113 targets, 59 catches. So think about that. He's 19. He's 19 catches away from matching his 2022 total and less than half the target. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. 
Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Targets. It's taking him to get there. Now, some of that is Quinn Ewers being more accurate this year, but Xavier Worthy is doing a better job of catching the football too. Like even his true freshman season, he was still one of the leaders in the conference in terms of dropped passes. Now he had more opportunities, so there's more opportunity to drop balls, but there were some easy drops. If you really think back to their freshman year and last year, that was also evident. You know, after the season, Steve Sarkeesian comes out and says he was dealing with the broken hands. There was a broken hand or bruised hand. The hand was injured, but it was also a year, a year over year, issue that Xavier Worthy had catching the football that has gone away so credit to him for putting the work in where that's not nearly as much of a concern anything you're strangely more concerned with a guy like Jordan Whittington dropping the football right now which I never thought that I would say yeah I think part I wonder part of Jay Witt's deal though is he just hasn't been involved as much yeah it's been hit or miss with how much they've gotten him the ball it's true I think that's got part that's got part to do with it um but you know like I said with, with with X at the risk of jinxing him, he's only got one drop pass this year. That's according to PFF. One drop on on what I say, one drop on fifty three targets. Is that what is that what I said it was? Uh, I did not hear the drop. Yeah, fifty targets. He's got one drop on fifty targets last year. Trey had seven drops last year. Yeah, and I feel like that number was maybe around eight or nine his freshman year too. So uh, he's only at three that year. I think it just felt like so many last year. I saw a stat last year that he had that he was tops or up there in the Big Twelve in terms of drop passes. I don't know. They're different people measure these things differently. So yeah, I mean, if you look, and I guess the drops are one of those things that it's kind of a case by case basis. Like when are the drops happening? Like if you go look at your, uh, I, I, I it was a couple of years ago. I, I I heard this being talked about in the NFL, and I went and looked at it. Des Bryant was still with the Cowboys when this when this happened. It's like, you know, if you go look at your NFL leaders, if you look at the guys, to your point, the point you made a second ago, if you look at the guys getting the most targets, those are probably going to be your guys that lead the league in drops. It was like you know, your league leaders in drops. It was like Des Bryant, Julio Jones, you know, AJ Green was up there. So some of that is, as you pointed out, Trey, just a byproduct of a guy getting a bunch of targets. But he is just the, I call it, you know, Sark calls it mental intensity and call it attention to detail, sense of urgency, whatever you want to call it. He just his body language looks better. Like he yeah. looks like he's more invested. He's more locked in, and maybe that's because he figures he's in a contract year this year and wants to see what his draft stock is after the season. To me, it doesn't really matter. The end result is if you're Texas, you're you're getting the best version of Xavier Worthy you've gotten to this point in his career. Yeah, I think that's a fair statement, and. It helps when you've got other guys around him that take some of the pressure off of him too. Like there have yeah. been games this year that people have said after the game that A.D. Mitchell is this team's best wide receiver. And I think there's a legitimate argument for that. J.T. Sanders obviously helps out a ton. And just Quinn Ewers taking those steps forward as a quarterback mm-hmm. goes a long ways in helping that because Quinn's favorite target for two years now has been Xavier Worthy and he's better at at finding him all over the field too. So Jordan Jordan Whittington went out and caught what, 10 balls against Oklahoma. 
10 balls, 11 balls, whatever he had. You get that random game. Here, here's the uh, the strange thing about this offense at times, though. Like, Xavier Worthy was great against Houston last week. What happened in the second half? Like, you can say at a certain point, I guess, that Quinn Ewers was hurt and he wasn't pushing the ball downfield as much. But uh, Xavier Worthy, I think, had one catch against the Cougars last weekend after he was one of the biggest reasons why you were able to jump out to the lead that you were through a quarter in a couple of minutes. Yep. Uh, two targets, one catch. And one of those two targets was Malik Murphy throwing him the ball, I believe. I think that was Malik's downfield throw as to Worthy. The sheet I'm looking at says it was Quinn. Oh, okay. But to your point, Trey, yeah, it's his second half u- usage was uh, left a little bit to be desired, kind of like the offense as a whole. It's really weird. Like, I, I looked at the offense, their first four drives, it was three touchdowns, and then they had, I think, a three and out in there, or maybe it was four drives and a punt. Uh, so they had uh, they had those four, first four drives and then the last drive. If you look at those five drives, they were averaging, I think, right around 8.1 yards of play on those five drives. Their other drives, which covers the, the wide swath, the, the vast majority of the game, I think they were like 3.4 a play. And like for those of you that don't know the difference in yards per play, that at the risk of barring the, the same analogy I've used before, that's like driving a Ferrari with the, the pedal to the floor on the interstate and then taking that Ferrari and knocking the engine out and pushing it. Like that's seriously, that's that's the difference between over eight yards of play and not even three and a half. It's night and day. So I I think part of it was Houston, you know, Houston did make some adjustments and it it wasn't really adjustments because they ran that three safety defense. They ran the three high the whole game. They started making adjustments with their front. They were moving guys around a little bit. When they were in that tight front to begin with, it was really easy for Texas to move the football. Uh, and, and when, you know, I don't want to get too far into football kind of philosophical discussion, but the best way to run the football against the three safety defense is just to hit your runs downhill and hard. And Texas did that early. It just felt like as Houston played a little more off coverage, played a little more games up front. And, and quite frankly, their guys just won some battles up front, uh, made Quinn hold on to the ball longer than he had. I think some of that was on Sark, you know, some, one of the sacks Quinn took. And as a matter of fact, Trey, if I go back and watch it, I think it was the sack where Quinn got hurt that was only a two man route. I mean, there's some points where you mean, you just, you just got to forget, like at some point a, a seven man protection is just not worth it. I want those other three guys. If a guy like Gunnar Helm or Jatavian Sanders or Jonathan Brooks can help me can be, you know, an eligible open receiver. I'd rather have him out there where my quarterback can check it down or dump it off rather than trying to have him block a defensive end or something. That's because just, that's they- just the way I think about it. Because Malik Murphy up until this week has been used to second-team reps, do you think we see any more of Jonte Cook in this game? Probably so. I think those two seem to have a pretty good rapport. I think even going back to the spring game, like you look at that long, that long bomb that uh, that Malik hit to Jonte Cook in the spring game, I, I think you will. I think at some point – look, it's even more of an issue to me with like, like a Derrick Williams or an Anthony Hill on defense. Man, at some point – at some point, I feel like it's almost like you know what or get off the pot with some of these freshman guys, right? Like if these are guys that you've deemed to be impact players, they can be difference makers for you. At some point, you've just got to give them more rep. Like at some point, as much as everybody likes the story, 
at some point, Derek Williams has to be getting significantly more chances than Michael Taff. At some point, he's got to get, be getting significantly more chances than Keaton Crawford. I wasn't paying close attention, but was Derek Williams out there much in the second half last week? It didn't feel like it. It felt like it was a lot more Taff, Jaron Thompson, with some Keaton Crawford mixed in. Yeah, as a matter of fact, let me um, – if you give me a second, I'll pull up snap counts. I remember, I remember seeing him in the first half. Yeah. Like his, I don't even think I saw his number all that much. But then again, part of that may have been that he wasn't the guy getting burned. That's, that's true, too. Field too. That's true, too. He He is your best coverage safety right now. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think honestly, you know, early in the year, this is again one of those things we talked about, you know, when this defense was really good, we talked about, you know, the kind of the path of least resistance. Uh, you know, how our team was going to move the ball against Texas. And for a while, it was tough for teams to, to okay, how are we going to move the ball against Texas? We don't want to run. Can you do this? I think now the book is out, man. Isolate their safeties and man coverage. And and just just try to throw the ball at them. Let me, uh, I can get you those snap reports here in just a sec, Trey. If my internet will cooperate. There we go. Uh, Derek Williams, Derek Williams was on the field for thirty six snaps. Actually, you know what? <laughs> Maybe it's just because he wasn't getting burned. Derek Williams played more snaps than any other safety last week. Interesting. Michael Taft was at thirty five. Jaron Thompson at twenty eight. Where was Keaton Crawford? Keaton Crawford was at 33. Oh, God. Yeah. That should but not. Then, but you look at Derek Williams when he's in there. He had a pressure. He had three solo tackles. Now, he did have two missed tackles, but he had two stops, which is a run stop that's a, a considered a failure for the offense. Targeted four times. He only gave up two catches for 20 yards. Did give up 11 yards after the catch. He had a pass breakup. So, I remember the pass breakup. Yeah, it's at some point some of these guys just you, you just got to give them more snaps and feel confident that the the good stuff you see in this small sample that you'll just be able to extrapolate that out over a bigger sample and you'll get a really productive you know 45 50 snap game from these guys. What were Gavin Holmes and Terrence Brooks's injury issues? Like there was a certain point where I don't remember seeing Gavin Holmes out there again. Terrence Brooks was out there until the end of the game. Gavin Holmes got hurt on, and I don't know what his injury was, Trey, to be honest, but he got hurt on the, uh, it was in the third, was it the third or fourth quarter? I don't remember. It was the where Sanborn had the punt and backed him up, and then they gave up the 51-yard catch. Yeah, that was the play Gavin Holmes got hurt, and I don't remember him coming back in the game. But yeah, Terrence Brooks, whatever he was dealing with, he fought through it pretty much the whole game. Hmm. Well, good, good for him, and maybe that helps to explain some of his struggles because we haven't seen him have a letdown game like that up to the up to uh, up to last week. Yeah, like I mean, against Oklahoma, he wasn't the biggest problem by far in that secondary. And some of these guys, like Malik Muhammad, played 52 snaps against Houston. Like, wow. it just didn't seem like he was. But again, he wasn't a guy getting burned. Like, he, yeah, he gave up three catches, but only 21 total yards. What were and, Terrence Brooks's numbers? Terrence Brooks, fit, uh, 52 snaps, targeted six times, gave up three catches for 34 yards. Uh, he did give up the touchdown, though, to Matthew Golden, where they ran that little. Uh, 
the out route. Yeah, the little the little double slant coming uh, off the rub and yeah. get him open kind of on that. Yeah, that was a nice play. That was bad coverage by him, but like he was getting hammered on pretty hard on Monday. I'm like, I, I saw that, and there, it's possible on the first touchdown. I think it was the first touchdown, either the first or second. Yeah, I think it was the first touchdown where it looks like it was Taft's guy, but somebody mm-hmm. missed on the handoff there. But I couldn't tell if he was pointing at Terrence Brooks or whoever the nickelback was in that situation. But Brooks was also having to account for somebody who had cut to the outside. Yeah, it was it was Ter- it was it was Terrence Brooks, and that just goes back to. You know, part of the issue with the secondary, and it makes sense when you think about some of your veteran guys, with the exception of Jaron Thompson. Like you're playing without Ryan Watts, you're playing that first half without Jade Barron, uh, no Jalen Catalan. So really, you're down to Jaron Thompson. When Jaron Thompson's not on the field, you don't have anybody that's really that has had a voice. Your communication has been awful. Like it's been terrible. Because if it was good, you wouldn't have guys pointing fingers after plays and. Dude's running scot free. Like that's with with as much quarters as Texas plays. Like even you go back to last year when you have coverage busts because it's because guys aren't communicating and you're not passing guys off. Guys aren't responsible for the right guy or there's a mix up or guys aren't paying attention or maybe they're doing their own thing or whatever. And the right if the right guy doesn't get passed off, that's why somebody's running wide open down the field. And you're like, what the heck was that? It's not that anybody just got blown by in coverage. It's just you didn't communicate and nobody accounted for that. Well, that happened to Terrence Brooks a couple of times last year because I remember Anthony Cook pointing at him saying, dude, what the hell are you doing? I actually saw it in person with the Baylor game at the end of the year where it was just bad communication. And as a result, you have a guy running wide open with a safety who's having to account for two different dudes downfield. There's also, uh, I don't remember if that was Terrence Brooks or maybe it was Ryan Watts, but that happened in the TCU game where Quentin Johnston got wide open. You're like, how do you let TCU's best player get that open? Well, like, you know, TCU ran a, a quarters beater in that situation and, you know, guys got tied up. There wasn't good communication and that's how he got wide open. That's that kind of stuff can happen, man. Are we seeing a lack of Gary Patterson's presence? No, I, I don't, I don't think so. Um, I think part of, part of the issue is you've just got guys, you've got some inexperienced guys back there and just, you, again, I don't think it's any coincidence that the slide of the secondary has coincided with, you know, Ryan Watts having injury issues and, you know, Jade Barron not being able to practice much. And now, you know, Jalen Catalan doesn't really, you know, he's just been learning this defense, not as long as some of these other guys, but that's a veteran guy that's seen a lot, really high football IQ guy, has a voice. Uh, I also think Trey doesn't help when your guy that has a voice right now back there is Jaron Thompson, but we all – they see the same film we see. They see the same issues on tape that we do. Jaron Thompson's not playing his best football right now. I, it's one of the biggest surprises on the season. Like in terms of individuals on this roster, I didn't expect seven games in the year questioning Jaron Thompson's worth out there. Play to play. It's he's it's a multi-year the, starter. Yeah. He was a guy who has a nose for the football has a little bit of that DeMarvion overshown in and where it's like, there's just certain instincts that you can't teach a guy and it's showing up at times this year, but we've also seen some really ugly moments out of him these last couple of games. I'm wondering, is it to the point? Is it to the point where does he need to think about coming back next year? 
Oh, is he not even a senior? Wow, I thought he was a senior. He's got he's got a COVID year he can use. Oh, we're, yeah. we're, we're down to we're down to the last of those guys that have the COVID year that they can use. So Jaron <laughs> Thompson's a true senior, but he's he's got that 2020 season if he wants to use it. Well, it's either come back or maybe go play in the USFL or XFL. Yeah. I don't I mean whatever NFL stock he had before the year, there's no way there's no way what he's done through seven games has helped. I don't know if Anthony Cook is on an NFL roster right now, but Anthony Cook He's last not. year looked like a better NFL prospect than Jaron Thompson does right now. Anthony Cook got cut by the Chiefs. He was one of their last cuts. I don't think he's on a roster, though, right now. I liked what Anthony Cook was able to turn into by the time it was all said and done here in Austin. Let's see. Current, currently plays for the Cray Wanderers. The hell? No, this is not right. <laughs> A soccer player named Anthony Cook. I was gonna be like, is he playing like in some league in Brazil, like one of those wheels off leagues? Italian league. His head coach is Art Bryles. Ugh. Uh, yeah, I don't see anything on Anthony Cook being on an NFL roster. I, you know what? Why did I think he was on the Chiefs practice squad? I don't know. I'm looking around. Looking on his Twitter right now. Yeah, there's from August 13th. Yeah, I don't I don't see him either. So maybe he we'll is uh, maybe he's looking for that next opportunity. He is not on the practice squad. Is he on IR? No. All right. Well, yeah, but to your point, Trey, yes, Anthony Cook did look like a better pro pop a better pro prospect at this point last year than jaron thompson does right now who knows though i mean i wouldn't have expected deshaun jameson to stick with an nfl team this year i did i did but i figured it would be after a move to safety hmm. but he's I'm, a cornerback i don't even know yeah. i just see him on special teams from time to time yeah and i, I think i think you see a guy's value when i was i was kind of surprised that the 49ers didn't try to hang on to him uh, that they let him go to waivers, and Carolina scooped him up off waivers real fast. Perfect opportunity for him. Yeah, first Carolina year, team is still trying to figure out its way. Bring first year head coach as possible. Yeah, endear yeah. yourself to the new staff. It's good stuff. Did you see Deontay Foreman had a three touchdown game last weekend? By the way, I knew it would happen when the Bears signed in this offseason. I said to myself, at some point this year, Khalil Herbert, Roshan Johnson, whoever else is on that roster at running back, they'll all be injured over the course of a couple of weeks. And Deontay Foreman will show us once again why he has been able to stick around, not just stick around in the league, but also be productive when given the opportunity, even though his team signed him with no intention of giving him that opportunity. Has he not come back? Has he come back from two Achilles tears? I know he had the one. I feel like it's just the one because the one was with Houston, right? Maybe it was a torn peck when he was in. Uh, I got to find that the injury he had when he got re- he got released by the Texans because he had the, he had the Achilles, came back and played well, then got released because Bill O'Brien didn't like something about him. Who knows? A shocker. Bob probably just woke up on the wrong side of the bed that morning. But then he went to the Colts and. He, he torn bicep, torn bicep. That's what it was. Tore his bicep. 
He went to the Colts. Yeah, but, but he was there for like a like a week in. Uh, oh, is this 2019? I'm seeing yeah. him a year in 2019. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Texans cut the Texans waived him on August 4th of 2019. Signed with the Colts the next day. Then on August 19th, he was uh, IR'd with a torn bicep and then waived on the 24th. So it's a hell of a month of August 2019 for Deontay Foreman. Yeah, and then he eventually receives another. I don't know what it is about the AFC South giving this guy opportunities. He needs to uh, find his way to Jacksonville before it's all said and done. Tennessee gives him a, a chance. Almost they uh, they sign him to a flyer deal. And, yeah. Uh, he eventually works his way up from the practice squad to uh, the guy who replaces Derrick Henry when Derrick Henry suffers an injury, and he was great in that role. They, they won a division with Deontay Foreman playing high-leverage snaps. I think he had a couple hundred-yard games maybe at the tail end of that year. He did a couple of multi-touchdown games, too, if I'm remembering correctly, and that turned into a deal for Carolina. And once again, he finds an opportunity in Carolina. This not as a result of an injury. This as a result of a trade of Christian McCaffrey, where everybody yeah. was high on Chuba Hubbard. But you give Deon, you you open the door a sliver for Deontay Foreman, he is going to hit that crease and pick up big yardage as a result. Hey man, ask Chris Warren how that works. Yeah, I, Deontay Foreman. Look, that was a decent year for Texas offensive line, especially relatively speaking to the rest of the decade and most everything we've seen up to uh, really the last year and a half now. But uh, part of that was Deontay Foreman and just how good he was at making the most out of a little. Man, I it, it just kind of shows you, God bless whoever's still at LHN, just kind of pushing the button and making sure that thing is still on the air at this point. I know there's good people that work at Longhorn Network. I say that in jest, tongue-in-cheek a little bit. But the uh, the 2015 Kansas game was on the other day. Don't ask me why, and don't ask me why I chose to watch a portion of it. The 2015 Kansas game? It was a home game. Texas wore the throwback. They wore throwback jerseys. Okay. And uh, Gerard Hurd hits John Burt for an 84-yard touchdown on the first play. Deontay Foreman, Trey, has a 93-yard touchdown run in that game where that's where you appreciate like This dude, at two, what was Deontay at that point, 230-ish, two, between 225 and 230? And granted, that was not the best Kansas team we've ever seen. But just to be burning away from everybody at, at his size, it was a he's a, a freaky combination of size and speed. He is the closest Texas has had to Ricky Williams since Ricky left. Now he wasn't he wasn't quite as shifty as Ricky was. Yeah. But in terms of just how physically imposing he was, but also having the speed to boot. The, yeah, the I'll, I'll agree with you. The the combo of strength and straight line speed. Yeah. yeah, tough guy too. I mean, in, in that 15th season, he would have had a thousand yards, but uh, the West Virginia game, he went over a hundred, broke his hand. He probably Deontay Foreman might have had the two seventy six or whatever it was that Chris Warren ran for on Thanksgiving against Tech. Was he also the result of nepotism too? The Texas coaches wanted Armani, and so they decided to give Deontay. A Deontay scholar. was Deontay was the throw in. It's funny how that works out sometimes. Sometimes it, sometimes it doesn't work in your favor. Alabama's finding that out with the Brockermeyers right now, right? Yeah, yeah, because, you know, Tommy's deal with his transfer, I mean, it's just the the injuries at some point, you know, have kind of added up for him. Is he starting for TCU? Mm, last I checked, no. Mm. 
no, he, you know, he missed, missed some pretty critical developmental time with the, with the shoulder injuries. Um, but yeah, Deontay was the throwing. And, and the thing with Deontay too, was there was considerable worry his entire process that he wasn't going to qualify because he had gotten behind. And I don't know if you remember Trey, but he, he actually got to camp like two weeks late, like right before the deadline where you, you've got to be enrolled by this point or, you know, it's, you're not going to be able to be eligible or, or can enroll or whatever. Um, he got to camp late. And, but I, I remember like his first couple of practices, you know, people that would go to practice and would, you know, tell me what's going on. They're like, Hey, that, that foreman kid, we're like, Oh, Armani, like, no, his brother, <laughs> like his brother's really good. Okay. File it away. And then you start hearing it from more and more people. It's like, all right, maybe, maybe Deontay's got something. Cause he was a, I'll be honest, like I saw him in high school. He was a good high school player. I, I didn't think he was going to be a 2000 yard back at Texas. I didn't think he was going to be, well, however many years into the NFL, his career's gone at this point. Sometimes the, uh, the nepotism thing works out like you expect it to like the best example that's coming to my head right now for the Longhorns is Chris and DeMarco Boyd. Yeah, Chris was the better prospect. DeMarco was the throw-in, and DeMarco never really amounted to much at linebacker. True. The McCoys. I I don't know that they planned on Case playing this pivotal role. As he yeah, no, that's playing. true. I guess I guess Case did uh, give you more. Well, more than you were expecting, mm-hmm. more than you were hoping for, too. Some could say, hey, but hey. he did beat Oklahoma and he beat A and M the very last time. Can't you can't take that away from from Case McCoy? No, you can't. That's that's eternal bragging rights, Trey. Get that video camera out of his hands, and you. Uh, hey, 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 hey. <laughs> well, you talk about uh, just a. Twenty twelve was one of those years that, and I've had a couple like this. Like twenty nine, twenty twenty was definitely one of those years, where at the end you can't even celebrate like a bowl victory. You're just like, thank God, it's over. You know, th- those seasons where we're following and covering Texas turns into like you, you might as well be covering the Cowboys because it's just some new circus every other day. You're like, what's it going to what's it going to be today? 2021. 20, Can you remember? Remember 2021? We had that run where it was like in a span of 10 days. It was like the Jeff Banks Halloween story, the Bo Davis bus incident and the loss to Kansas. That all happened within like 10 days. That monkey story is still one of the more ridiculous stories in the history of this program. <laughs> I don't know how that story went away as quickly as it did because the kids suffered serious injuries as a result of that. It's right up there with, uh, man, I can't remember it off the top of my head, but Edwin Simmons demise was something, uh, something unsavory. Kevin's told me about this. What was it? He ended up naked in the backyard of a yeah, yeah, uh, or something. Yep, here it is from the L.A. Times, September 30th, 1986. Oh, come on. I don't want to subscribe to the L.A. Times just to read this for Trey's enjoyment. Uh, arrested on Saturday, I was standing nude in an Austin, Texas resident's backyard. Mm. Yeah, man. Now, so, did he go Johnny Depp, Amber Heard, and there was a, a deuce on the diving board or anything? I don't know, but I feel like if you've already gone to that point, like you're already naked in somebody's yard, you might as well. Oh, yeah. You know? <laughs> when in Rome. 
Like you've already gone this. have already gone this far. CB says, Chip says, if not for the monkey story, Jeff Banks is the head coach at Washington State right now. Yeah, I've heard that too. Maybe it was through Chip. He was in the mix for that job. Well, it's just like defensive coordinators, headbutting helmeted players. Probably don't need to hire that guy as the head coach. Tom Herman. Your special teams coordinator has a, a monkey that bites a kid's face on Halloween. That may excuse him from the next couple of head coaching opportunities that crop up. Is big is Big Craig still in the chat? I saw he was in here earlier telling me to throw something on the on the Google machine. So uh, just want to say Craig. Just want to say a shout out to good old Craig Floyd if he's still around. Jeff, if you throw Anthony Cook. Texas in the old Google machine. Yeah, it did come back with the Chiefs, but he got cut and he's not on the I'm not showing him on the practice. Oh, he part. said Casey after that. I see. All right. Phrase monkey. I don't get it, Jake. I don't get it. There's really in terms of ranks matchups this weekend in college, Jeff. There's two ranked matchups. I don't know who outside of Louisville or, or Durham cares about Louisville Duke. Um, but Pac-12 mm. was providing another interesting one with Oregon at Utah. Where's that game? Where, where's game day this weekend? Is game game day is Oregon Utah, right? That would be my guess, but I don't know for sure. Okay, that is like rankings wise, that is far and away the best matchup, though. I mean, part of me was kind of hoping that you know Louisville Duke maybe you could get like Purvis Ellison and or per, Purvis Ellison and Danny Ferry to be co guest pickers on game day, <laughs> something like that. Uh, speaking of bad knees <laughs> never nervous Purvis uh yeah Duke Louisville I don't really care um what about Oregon Utah it's kind of interesting now that that Kyle Whittingham has come out and said Cam Rising's done for the rest of the year which we're kind of wondering he was I was like in limbo yeah, no like, well, shit Kyle thanks well, <laughs> yeah, <it's> like, <laughs> Like uh, Cameron Cameron Rising's injury status, Trey was turning into is Desmond Harrison still suspended this week? Like, that's, <laughs> that's, <laughs> Utah's problem is that Cam Rising came out like two weeks ago saying that it was a much more severe knee injury than anybody was letting on. Yeah, Cam, Cam, I wish Chip was here because I think Chip reported this. At least Cam Rising didn't get have a bullet grazes like he wasn't shot during winter break at one point. Yeah, Desmond Harrison on like a bullet. I think Chip reported that. Desmond Harrison had like a, a bullet like grace his leg. Dude, that the Desmond Harrison recruitment and stay at Texas was if there is such a thing as a wheels off tenure on the 40 acres, it was Desmond Harrison. Or or Sasquatch, as I came to call him, because we heard about Desmond Harrison. He was allegedly there. We just never saw him. Well, I forget where he went after Texas, but he ended up in the NFL. I remember seeing him on he 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 was an opening day starter for the Browns one year. I think exactly. as a rookie. Yeah. What the yeah. And well, then he got uh, himself in trouble and that's when Harrison's stay in the league was short lived. It's just now he's probably serving as a bodyguard or a door guy somewhere. I remember talking to people. By the way, I'm considering on Facebook friends with some of them, I'm surprised how many uh Former Longhorn lineman get into the private security gig, the private security field. Seems to be a lucrative not field. Surprised. Not surprised because it seems yeah. like a pretty lucrative field if you uh, if you play your cards right. Yeah. Um, but I remember asking people in the program, Trey, like, look, man, because remember, like, he had to deal with the BYU classes and was he even going to be eligible to play. And it's like, man, there's all these red flags with Desmond Harrison. 
And from the top down, it was always, yeah, but he's really good. Like, you got to see how good he is. Like, oh, I'm sh- he better be for the headache it's causing everybody. And we never really got to see it. That was a Mac Brown recruit, too, wasn't it? That was at the point where Mac was just so desperate. You're just you're just adding talent. I feel like he you're had just... played at a California City College or Junior Con- Contra Costa College. Trey, that'd be in the uh, in the Bay Area. Yeah, Contra Costa Times. Yeah, one of the uh, as a secondary newspaper in the Bay Area. Probably not still around because most second newspapers in major metropolitan areas no longer are, unless you're in New York City. Uh, Desmond Harrison, I remember, dude, that was the week of the 2014 BYU game. So, so go back and think about that week, right? Charlie Berry's the lead in the press conference coming off the North Texas game. Like he goes through like, I don't know, you give out like the boss hog award and whatnot and all this. <laughs> whatever. I don't know if Charlie was giving out awards at that point. Or like Matt Ash being out for the year. Yeah. Like he's like, oh, and, uh, our quarterback is concussed and is never going to play again. I'll take any questions. Like. Can we can we go back and erase that ten minute filibuster and you just go straight to that nugget you just dumped on everybody? So you had David Ash was done forever. Dominic Espinosa was done forever. Oh, then right yeah. bef- right before the game, like two days before the game, you had Kennedy Estelle get kicked off the team, <laughs> and Desmond Harrison like entered like witness protection. I don't know what the hell was going on with Desmond Harrison at that point, but like he was. Charlie wouldn't say he was suspended, but he was, he was, we never saw him suit up. It's so weird. What a disaster. What a disaster that era was. I, I will say this though, from, from that era though, DJ Johnson, DJ was able to work his way back. Good for him. Yeah. Espinosa was a bigger loss than David Ash was too. Yeah. Cause you ended up Jake Rollerson got, uh, got a shot at center and you ended up with Taylor Doyle. As your starting center. <laughs> oh boy, these are some names from the past. Dude, you had you had you had an Oklahoma game that year where you had Taylor Doyle and Marcus Hutchins starting on the offensive line against OU. I think Darius James got a start against OU. I have to go back and look at that who all started that game, but that's boy, you talk about like Twilight Zone years of Texas football. Yeah, that was the closest Charlie got to a winning season. Cause like within pretty much from like late 2013 to like the second game of the 2014 season, you had Espinosa injury. Uh, he had, he had the injury never played again. Josh Cochran had to medically retire because of shoulder problems that Kennedy Estelle got kicked off the team. Desmond Harrison got suspended. Rami Hamad got kicked off the team. You had Darius James, who for whatever reason, Joe Wickline just hated him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Cameron Hughes, who Charlie would call NCAA no contact at all during press conferences. Ooh. Like, yeah, it was it was a strange time for the Texas online trade. So as much as I've complained about the offensive line lately, I trust me, trust me, I know it, it could be way worse than it is. Was the UCLA debacle at Jerry World that first year too? Yes. Oof. I've seen Desmond Jackson several times since then, and. In no way, shape, or form, and I am I interested in bringing up the coin toss with him. Well, that's just, probably a good thing to just, let me. Uh, yeah, just let that just leave that over to the side and deal with that later. Um, any, anything else on the? 
on the college football docket trays, it, it's kind of a shame that the Big 12 as a whole just sucks so bad. Yeah. That, like it's it's almost not even worth looking at the at the schedule, you know, like to see who else is playing. Yeah, like Oklahoma, Kansas could theoretically be interesting, but Bean is starting for them. Jalen Daniels isn't. Which Speaking is of mysterious injuries and coaches being secretive. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm to the point where I can't help but to wonder about the Jalen Daniels conspiracy theory being true, that he's just choosing to sit out this season because Kansas decided not to match his offer. The holdout started just before the Texas game. And we will uh, see him again next year playing for a different program. Ooh, you know what? Jalen Daniels, in theory, in theory. Uh, Could redshirt. Yeah, he's only played in three games, and a postseason game would not count against his eligibility. So if Kansas makes a bowl game, which I think they will, he could, in theory, kind of play the bowl game as like a farewell. Thank you, Lance Leipold and Kansas fan base for everything. Let's go have a great time at the Weed Eater Bowl or whatever, and we'll see you guys in the SEC next year. Bean was better throwing the football in Kansas's last game, but I don't know. I'm I'm gonna have to see it against this Oklahoma defense before I believe that he's come around as a passer. I'm just trying to think of which SEC school is gonna be desperate enough to throw the kind of bag it, that would need to be thrown at Jalen Daniels to get him Shit, to Alabama. Yeah, but are they are they pretty content with Jalen Milrow at this point? So you're right about that. Milrow has has looked better as a passer going back about a month now. Like he is doing a better job of going through his progressions and really getting it together at points in games where if it continues to come unraveled for him, they will lose these games. Instead, you're seeing Alabama beat AM going away and beat Tennessee going away too. So there is less of a need there right now. I'll agree with you on that one. Um, I'm thinking about LSU. I just don't know how many years Jaden Daniels has left. Well, no, Jaden Daniels is done after this year. Yeah. This is his final year. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. This is his fifth year. Florida. I know it's not sec, but Florida state could perhaps use his services. Jordan Travis is done after this year. Isn't it? Yeah, I, I was, I was going to say, uh, I was going to say Oklahoma, but I, I'm. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. I'm just assuming they'll just go turn it over to Jackson Arnold next year. Yeah, I don't know if you mess around with that if you're Oklahoma. Uh, heavy out, out Arkansas with a question mark. I don't. Who's going to be the offensive coordinator at Arkansas? What offense are they going to run? It's a fair question. Is Sam Pittman going to be? The, you're right about that, Heavy. Is Sam Pittman going to be the coach? At Tennessee would make sense. Graham Mertz has been pretty good for Florida. Is this his last year there, though? I don't even know. I would think so, but man, dude, trust me. Jalen Daniels is an upgrade from Graham Mertz. Yeah, you're right about that. I agree. I concur. I think that uh, people are a little bit too high on this Utah offense right now after what they did to USC, Oregon. And Oregon wants this game going away. Dude, I'm pretty sure Westlake could move the ball on USC 
That's how bad that exactly. USC defense is. Did you hear the hot water Alex Grinch got himself into, Trey? Where he said no. Utah put a play on film that he that they hadn't run all year, and the people pulled multiple examples of Utah running that play. Ooh. Bro, you know what? Yeah, that, that's worse than Steve Sarkeesian saying something like that in a presser, where it's like, please don't say that out loud, Steve. Like, I, hey, I know Sark is watching film. Oh, but, I get that. I don't doubt that he is, but don't let that be an excuse. Sports is all about doing especially if you're an underdog doing what the opponent doesn't expect. You USC is like one slip up away from being like the dumb and dumber our pets heads are falling off portion of the season that nobody wants to be in. Well, they were holding it together by duct tape for a couple weeks there and things have finally come completely undone starting with Caleb Williams not being all world for a couple yeah. of weeks. <laughs> you know, you've got you've got two losses. Caleb, you know, Emmanuel Acho's encouraging Caleb Williams to sit out uh Alex Grinch is playing Call of Duty with Kyler Murray or or whatever the hell he's doing instead of watching film. Lincoln Riley's got pneumonia. Oh, is that what it is? Pneumonia? He's got pneumonia. Our pets' heads are falling off. Look, I would normally be uh all for people calling Lincoln Riley out as faking an illness, but if he's if he's actually dealing with pneumonia, I dealt with it a year ago. It was hell. Like I yeah. thought I was dying for two weeks until I finally got antibiotics and steroids. Dude, I had uh, I had pneumonia for like uh, it was like a two week period. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was pneumonia. I never went to the doctor to find out, but it was like ten days or so. And dude, Trey, I, I had like my throat was like swollen up. I couldn't like drink or eat anything. I lost no joke. I lost like sixteen, seventeen pounds in ten days. It was like the 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 lowest my weight has ever been in my adult life was at that point. You know what I always say, Jeff? Serious illness is one of the best diets. Well, it's kind of, it's kind of like when my dad had cancer and he started losing weight. I'm like, Dad, you look like you're losing weight. He goes, well, son, I don't recommend it as a weight loss plan. Nope. <laughs> so, yeah, my dad, my dad had a great way of uh, making light of his cancer situation. Always appreciate that. Hey, as, look, you've got to, if you can't laugh... You'll just cry about it. So I, I respect that. <laughs> he had a, I'm an inappropriate uh, sense of humor guy when it comes to a lot of situations, especially uh, those sorts of moments. You know what my dad did, though, that actually is a great idea. I, th- I think we should all do this if we're afforded the opportunity. He decided that because uh, he had esophageal cancer and, and we knew what that what the end was going to be like, like you know, his oncologist and everybody told us, like, look, at some point, what's going to happen? So he decided, you know what, those last couple months or weeks, he's like, I don't want people to see me like that. So I think it was probably almost a year before he passed. We had a he had a going away party. Oh, like, yeah, well, funeral. Yeah, he's like, look, if you want to, you want to come see me, you want to, you know, you know, we go have a cup of coffee, whatever. This is this is your time to do it because nobody's coming in the house at the end. And what so- did they- what what happened at the end? Like, what did they tell you to expect? And is that what happened? Oh, it was rough. Yeah, just, you know, the, the hardest part was when you st- started losing, like, cognitive functions. Hmm. Just couldn't couldn't remember people and stuff like that. Yeah, that, that type of stuff was happening. So he didn't want that. So, and, like, people would ask him, like, well, where are you going? He's like, well, I hope I'm going to heaven when this is all done. <laughs> like, hmm. you know, he wanted to have a chance to say goodbye to everybody. But, yeah, I would I would strongly... Seriously, seeing like how much that improved 
not just my dad's mental health, but like a lot of like, I know his brothers and people that were struggling with it. Like it really helped people come to terms with like, well, I mean, if he's, if he's this much at peace with it, I, I might as well be. See, in that situation, I also don't fault somebody for turning to the proverbial Kevorkian. To I, avoid yeah. a, uh, a sort of crash landing like that. But I also respect if somebody wants to, to gut it out to the end too. I told the only the only time my dad and I even remotely disagreed was I told him he should get his mar- medical marijuana card because he could have. I'm like, you they're giving you a free pass to do this. It's yeah. like it's like that episode of South Park where Randy got testicular cancer so he could get a, a marijuana screen. But it's a gateway drug. <laughs> Is it? Does that matter at this point? Bruh. Did you ever see that episode, Trey, where Randy's got his... I I stopped watching South Park at some point 15 or so years ago. I need to get back to it. He's literally got his his testes in a wheelbarrow just going going down the street. Jimbo sees him like Randy's just smoking on the corner. Jimbo's like, Jesus, Randy, your balls. He's like, yep, smoking weed in front of a cop. He's like, no, really, your balls. (laughs) I feel like I've seen uh, seen gift gifs with that scene. Oh, man. Twitter, maybe. There, I think the two most underappreciated characters on that show are Randy Marsh and Butters. I think are the two most underappreciated characters on that show. Butters is a good one, Mr. Garrison. <laughs> Garrison's good. I, I I feel like Mr. Garrison is properly rated. Mr. Garrison's like the James Franklin. What James Franklin is to coaching, Mr. Garrison is to South Park characters. Mr. Mackey. He, he's pro- properly rated. Yeah, I would say the same thing for Mr. Mackey. Properly rated. All right. Free DeJay Johnson, according to Big Craig. Yes, free DeJay. Remember when DeJay had his uh, rap single when he dropped that? I do remember that, yeah. I haven't, I haven't seen DeJay in a minute to know if the rap career is still in the works. but Was he around Austin the last time you ran into him? Hmm. When was the last time I saw DeJay? Uh... Yeah, because I want to say it was not at like a pro day or something like that, but it was around. No, it wasn't campus. It was at some camp or something. It was at a football field. It wasn't around campus. Yeah, it was in the Austin area last time I saw him. It's been. Yeah, it's been a minute since I last saw DJ. Okay, I've got a non-sports story for you here. But I just came across looking for that uh, South Park gift gif on Twitter. Tell me if you agree with this or not as the uh, the parent of uh, a youngster. A restaurant in Georgia is going viral for charging customers an extra fee for, quote, bad parenting. It is Tacoa Riverside Restaurant with a cuisine that features American-style food with an emphasis on fresh seafood. Screenshots of terms listed at the bottom of the menu, namely, quote, an adult surcharge for adults unable to parent, have been have sparked mixed reactions on social media from the restaurant. If you have children... No, I'm sorry. This is, a, uh, this is somebody upset with this. If you have children, avoid this place at all costs. Holy moly. The most disrespectful owner made a huge scene in front of the entire restaurant because our children were, quote, running through the restaurant. They were down by the river (laughs) at Foley. We were told we need to go to Burger King and Walmart and that we were bad parents. 
They have a fifty dollars surcharge for bad children. How how much was the surcharge? Fifty bucks. If you want to charge me fifty bucks because you deem my kid to be unruly to where um I'm out of line, I'm bad. I'm I'm a bad parent. While I'm paying this bill, why don't you go outside and practice falling down, and I'll be out there in a minute. Yeah, I think it depends on the effort the parents are making to keep the kids from running roughshod in the establishment. I see situations where parents just let their kids play tag around tables. Yeah, okay, not at all cool. It it where I worry about it if you do have a kid that's struggling with you know like. I've seen parents that have like their kids are, are struggling with autism or something and they can get, you know, it can, they can have a situation, um, which I know it's uncomfortable for the parent. You don't charge a parent, a non-parenting fee. It's not the parent's fault. It's just something that happens. The kid doesn't want that to happen. They don't want that to happen, but it's just, you know, it is what it is. You're, you're going to charge you. Are you going to make a ruling and charge someone a $50 service fee for that? I, it's a great question. This you place know, also has surcharges for sharing food. There's a $3 surcharge for that. They charge extra. They charge 18% gratuity for parties of six or more. That's not out of the ordinary no, parties that ask for separate, separate checks get charged that 18% gratuity. I've, I've heard of stuff like that. Like the separate check issue is. Now, this is where it gets comical, and I'm wondering if this is a bit. They actually charge more for people who order off of the birthday menu. I guess they charge the automatic 18% gratuity. I've never understood that out of restaurants because at that point, you're essentially asking for somebody not to tip you more than 18%. Yeah. And as somebody who likes to get over that 20% tip mark when I can, if the service hasn't been great, I'm not giving a penny more than, than what you've already made me pay is is 18 is 18 the standard tray is that is that where is that where the restaurant tipping is is 18 no, kind of the standard the, at this point is 20 to 25 percent seriously for being a decent tipper yeah damn okay according to people in the service industry all right bad tippers tip somewhere between 10 to 15 percent if, if it's if i feel like it's been bad service like just completely half-assed or something i go 15 if i feel like it was good i'm somewhere in that like 18 to 20 range very very rarely do i go over over 20 percent. like it's got to be or i will tip extra like if there hasn't been many times where this has happened like if there's you know if there's a problem in the kitchen like with the food but our our server was really good i'll tip the server a little extra because somebody at our table might not like the food situation, but I know it's not the server's fault. So I'll, I'll tip the server a little extra in that case. I'm sorry. What was that situation? I just had to answer a text message that oh, it's all good. Basically like if the, if the food is bad or whatever, or, you know, just on, not cooked properly or they forgot something or left something on the plate, they're supposed to take off. And the server like is genuinely, you know, I'm so sorry, whatever. Yeah. I'll, yeah. I'll tip a little extra. Yeah, I think that's good. So when the service is good, you go 18 to 20%. Yeah, somewhere in there, yeah. So 20% is kind of the benchmark for me, just for ease of math more than anything else. 
Or you, you take you, the tab, you move the decimal place over once, multiply that by two, and then just round up to the nearest dollar amount. That's pretty much what I do, yeah. But there's also, see, there's little nuances within the, the tipping rule too. Like if you get something for free, again, this is according to friends that I've had that either, I guess most used to serve, some, some still do. Yeah, I think some still do. Uh, if you get something for free, a free entree, free drinks, mm -hmm. you're supposed to, this is where the math gets complicated, but you're essentially supposed to add that to the tip. So if you're going to tip 20%, it probably goes up to 25% because you're going to throw a couple extra. I got you. Okay. Yeah. Was. Okay. Yeah. That makes it's, sense. It's kind of a, you scratch my back, I scratch yours sort of deal. Big Craig thinks Lincoln Riley might have gotten pneumonia from some of that brisket that Lincoln actually ate the bad brisket. Well, there was not enough barbecue sauce in the world to make that thing look edible. Yeah, if you've got to put barbecue sauce on your brisket, then you have failed miserably. It just looked like, oh, I don't even know. It didn't look like brisket. No. No. I don't know what it looked like. Not brisket. Uh, what, is, what is going on in the Big 12 this weekend other than Texas BYU? Let's see. You said Oklahoma, Kansas. No Jalen Daniels. Uh, U of H is at K-State. Say that again. U of H is at K-State. Yep. Where it's already, it's going to be probably colder than a witch's you-know-what in Manhattan. As it tends to be this time of year. Boy, West Virginia at UF, UCF. Uh, Iowa State at Baylor. Cincinnati at Oklahoma State. Ugh. Ugh. Gosh, I mean, looking the the next week, TCU Tech play a Thursday night game. You do have Bedlam with Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. That actually, that, that's an interesting game right now because Oklahoma State has gotten its shit together. But Houston, Baylor, Kansas, Iowa State, BYU, West Virginia, UCF, Cincinnati. Yeah, the Big 12 just sucks this year, Jeff. It's awful, dude. It's awful. It's, it's the worst. You know, you can look at it and say, you kind of go through history and say 2005 was not a great year for the league as a whole, but I was following Texas, so I didn't care really what the, what the rest of the league was doing in 05. It didn't really matter to me a whole lot. Uh well, I can tell you for certain that the Big 12 North sucked that year. Yeah. Colorado was a representative from the North. As bad as Texas smashed them and at uh, Reliance Stadium. Stadium. I said, man, that's... I've said this before, man. That's one of those games where you almost feel bad for the opponent afterwards. You're like, dude, okay. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, I was at that game. I felt terrible for Colorado. Joel Clad too, especially. Yeah. Um, as a matter of fact, I think Iowa State almost, as a matter of fact, I think Colorado backdoored their way into the championship game because it was Iowa State. And then I think Iowa State lost to Colorado hmm. like on the last weekend of the season or late in the season and didn't go. Or maybe Colorado won a game, Iowa State lost a game, and Colorado ended up going. Um, but, yeah, the North was the North was god-awful. They were terrible. Yeah, I'm not going to uh, rub the ALCS in any more than we did on Tuesday, Jeff. But are you glad that Dusty Baker hung him up yesterday? No, I'm not glad. Um, 
but it's it's time. It was there are time. A lot of Astros fans who are glad. No, I'm not glad. Um, because be honest, man. I, there's some Astros. Every fan base has their share of idiots. I think we all know that at this point. Yeah. I do appreciate Dusty Baker for holding it together post scandal. He deserves some credit for that. Uh, he did win a World Series. Mm-hmm. You can argue that they probably could have maybe won a couple more. Probably should have gotten there this year. But you know what? I I don't. It it felt like it was time. I don't. I don't feel like Dusty Baker overstayed his welcome in Houston. I feel like this is the appropriate time to to bow out and and let somebody else take over. Get some new blood in that clubhouse. I'm seeing Brad Osmus as an Osmus, former Astro great. Yeah. Great catcher for them back in the day. Going to bring back. uh, Well, here's the thing, though. Like, this is, again, this is what concerns me more than Dusty stepping down. Like, Dana Brown is the GM is apparently going to have no say in who the manager is. It's going to be a Jim Crane, Jeff Bagwell call, which in that case, Brad. Yeah, Jeff Bagwell's senior, what is his title? Senior advisor or special advisor to the owner. Yeah, he's he's got a front office position. Guess it's going to be Brad Osmus then. Which, yeah, Brad Osmus would make total sense. Um, you know, they've, they've got a lot to figure out in the next year with some of these contracts in terms of, you know, what does just Justin Verlander want to do? Are you willing to pay Jose Altuve for the bad years that he's got left for maybe the one or two good years that you're going to get out of him? How old is he now? 34? 34. Same thing with Alex Bregman, and Alex Bregman's 30. Hmm. Your core now, I mean, your core is Jordan, Pena, and Tucker. That's That's your core. Michael Brantley won't be back. We know that. No, it's it's probably time for him to move on or hang him up. I think that you do keep Altuve. You probably keep, I mean, you, you are keeping Bregman. I think you, you keep Altuve. You let him play until he's ready to retire. You want him to begin and end with that franchise. If you're an Astros fan, you do the, uh, you know, you know, it's kind of like if Albert pools would have stayed in St. Louis, it's like, yeah, you're going to pay him for four or five years where he's not going to be that player, but you're still going to get a year two, hopefully three, maybe. If you're lucky, where he's still playing at an, at an all-star level. You did it with BGO, who obviously played that same yeah. position. You you remember the Craig BGO center field experiment? No. Holy hell, yeah. Neither do Astros fans. It's almost like you just like try to block it out like it was a nightmare. Yeah, they tried. Was that 2003 or four? I forget. They mm. tried. It was when, oh, yeah, it was. I think it was 2003. They had signed Jeff Kent at free agency. Mm. And the plan was move Craig Biggio to center field and watching Craig Biggio try to navigate. Cause at that time you very much still had towels Hill and you had the light pole was in fair territory at center field. Yeah, it was, it was sad. It's like looking at my 14 year old dog right now, Trey, how spry she used to be. And just, she's still happy to see you, but it's a, it's going to take her a minute to get off the floor now. Like it was, it was painful. Well, I guess Biggio played every position except shortstop in terms of the straight up the middle of the field. Yeah, started as a catcher, mm-hmm. wanted to save his knees, moved into second base, and they experimented with him in center field. 
for he, he's in the, he's in that catching gear, I think, on his uh eighty nine Don Russ rookie card. Yeah. See Craig Beasley on the right. catcher's gear. Yeah, because he was exclusively a catcher early on. Jake brings up a point in the in the chat. I thought Lance Berkman played center. No, they moved. They wanted to move. This was the problem with the Astros. This is why the Astros, like the the, the American League transition, was about ten years too late for that team. Ideally, what they want, what they would have done had they been able to, or just said the the DH been universal at that point, Jeff Bagwell would have moved to permanent DH because mm-hmm. like he literally could not throw at that point. Like yep. he was shot putting baseballs. Oh yeah. And Lance Berkman would have gone to first base. They were trying because I, I was covering Round Rock at the time. I'm like whether it was Tim Perpera or Tal Smith, who was somebody in the organization. I was I was privy trade to a lot of Astros conversations. I probably should not have been privy to at that point. <laughs> But basically, they were doing everything they could to get Lance Bergman out of the outfield because they're like, he he's going to, you know, we talked earlier about sometimes you need to save guys from themselves. He plays so hard. Yeah. He's going to run into a wall or hurt himself, and we're going to miss him for half the year just because, you know, he ran up towels till him, you know, tweaked the knee or something. He did play a little bit of center field, though, didn't he? He did, yeah. Yeah. Just crazy to think about. I mean, he's one of those bigger guys that you would not expect to move as well as he did. But no, Lance, Lance Berkman. Lance Berkman goes. Uh, he goes in my fat guy slash unathletic Hall of Fame. Just for a dude that you look at Lance Berkman, he does not look like the athletic specimen of the mm-hmm. time. Hell of a player, and honestly, of the pro athletes I've interacted with, interviewed, met, maybe the nicest guy. I've ever met in the, in the pro sports realm. Lance Berkman is Lance Berkman. Yeah. Oh, that's good to hear. Great dude. Great dude. I heard Ken Caminetti was a pretty nice dude too. Wish I'd have gotten to meet Ken Caminetti. That's uh, yeah, I talking about Astro stuff. Like from this is, that was my, my wheelhouse was my youth growing up as an Astros fan. Actually weren't the core guys for those Astros teams. Pretty nice dudes. Like Bagwell and Biggio had good reputations too. Bagwell, you? Bagwell, not so much. Oh, okay. uh, Biggio. Yes, absolutely. hundred percent. Craig Biggio. Uh, Craig Biggio. Yeah. Ken Caminetti. Derek Bell seemed like that kind of guy. I was just thinking, what was the other killer B? Derek Bell. Derek Bell. And then it was Lance Berkman. Hmm. Yeah, Jeff Bagwell. Jeff Bagwell didn't have the best reputation. That was an era from when I liked the Astros. I I said Jeff Bagwell should have been a Hall of Famer because whatever his home run total is, just round it up to the nearest hundred because he played like the prime of his career in the freaking Astrodome. So mm-hmm. that's got to be, you got to give him something for that. Ike says not Jeff Kent in terms of the nice guys. <laughs> no, Jeff Kent was a bona fide asshole. It's why he and Barry Bonds are such great teammates. <laughs> it's like they they uh, balanced each other, each other out. Now, Jeff Bagwell, my favorite thing about Jeff Bagwell, I love the batting stance. My favorite thing about Jeff Bagwell is just how smart of a base runner he was. Never the fleetest of foot, but he was such a high IQ base runner. Yeah, they, uh, I mean, you forget Jeff Bagwell, early career Jeff Bagwell was like an athletic dude that could run the bases. He was lean and then became, you know, thicker, stockier, power hitting Jeff Bagwell. Even when he was that, he always understood when to take the extra bag and when not yeah. to. CB says the 98 Astros are still one of his favorite all-time teams. They'd be the whole uh, like 
two months they had Randy Johnson. Hmm. Forgotten about that. Yeah. I I remember exactly where I was, Trey, when the Randy Johnson trade went down. When it actually when it was in the process of getting done. I was on my way, me and like because I guess this was the thing. I, I yeah, I was going into my freshman year of high school. So everybody was going to Scott and White and Temple to get physicals because they had a certain day that you could go get physicals. We all stopped at the McDonald's and Belton. It was like me and like probably seven of my friends. And that's all the dads were talking about. Hey, did you hear this Randy Johnson thing might actually happen? They, they got the minor leaguers worked out. Like this, this Randy Johnson to Houston thing might happen. And by that night, it was, it was a done deal. Who did the Astros trade for Randy Johnson? Okay. Without, why don't you, can you Google that? And I'll see if I can remember all the pieces that went to Seattle. It was trade. John Halama, Freddie Garcia, Carlos Guillen. There's somebody else I'm missing, but I know Freddie Garcia, John Halama, Carlos Guillen. I know we're three. That's those were the three. That was it. Randy Johnson to Houston for three minor leaguers. Okay. I thought there was somebody else, but I know I knew it was those three. Astros got two months of the big unit. What a nickname before being bounced in the first round of the playoffs and losing him in free agency that offseason to the Arizona D-Bags. Hmm. Which brings us, not really full circle, but brings us to this year's World Series. Rangers, D-Bags, do you have strong feelings one way or the other about this matchup? Honestly, Trey, I probably won't watch any of it. I don't blame you. Until until it gets... You know what? I, I will say this. I'll say this. As an Astros fan who suffered through you know, the Tim Perpera years and then the 100 lost seasons. Whatever you want to say about 2017, that's one, as a, as a cynical adult sports fan where a lot of the, you know, a lot of the joy of it kind of gets pulled out of you at times. You almost, almost become desensitized to it. That was one of those moments where I was legitimately happy. Like I never thought I would see the day when my team, the Houston Astros won a world series I've got a lot of friends who are re- like hardcore Rangers fans. I want that for them. Trey, somebody like you that grew up a Rangers fan. Like I, I want like somebody like BK that grew up a Rangers fan. Everybody that grew up Rangers fans. I, I want I want you to know what that feels like to watch your team finally do it. Yeah. I may have eclipsed this with Longhorn football games, but there was a point where I had been to way more Rangers games than any other live sporting events most of which were at old Arlington stadium, but there was a fair number at the ballpark mm-hmm. and I haven't been to the Gilf yet. Now BK said he's going to be in person for a potential clincher world series clincher. And I asked him if he was cool with me coming along with, so there's a chance if Texas can do it in game six or seven that I might be there, but Heard great things about that stadium, and it's a it's a weird point in time to be a Rangers fan because you thought this team might be better and more competitive this year. Nobody, me included, by the way, having put that hundred dollar bet on a seventy to one Texas Rangers team back in late March, hey. thought that they would be in the World Series. And if that bet hits, Jeff, it's why this championship might eclipse the Longhorns football national championship in early two thousand six for me. You know, I would see a moment like that, but the combination 
of the Rangers winning it all and me winning $7,000 at the same time could do it. Baseball, baseball championships are a little bit different. You have time to get your, because of the way the game is structured, you have time to prepare yourself for the moment. Like Texas won the national championship in football. It was like just this sea of emotions that you felt like, oh my God, it happened. But I remember like the. It's also a four month journey too versus a seven month journey. Like Texas won the, the baseball national championship in 02 because of the way they beat South Carolina, like you're getting into those middle to late innings. You're like, dude, they're actually going to do this. Like this is actually going to happen. Yeah. And then seeing the whole thing and, and whatnot, that was awesome. But it's just, it's a little bit different, but man, I, I want that. I want that for the Rangers fans that I know. I I want that for them. I want them to know what that the build up to that moment feels like. And that moment when you realize that your team breaks through and you, you get that final out and it's done and you celebrate a championship. Well, that's really big of you because a lot of Astros fans don't want the Rangers to sniff that. Even if they do have friends or family members who are Rangers fans, that's just how deeply the rivalry runs for some. Yeah, but it's to me, I I don't take I don't take ba- the baseball rivalry all that serious. The, trust me, did the ALCS piss me off? Yes, 100%. Without question. But part of that was I'm like, dude, the better team won and if you get four cracks to win, all you got to do is win. It's kind of like Texas with the, it's why the Oklahoma game wasn't like as crushing as it otherwise could have been. I mean, you get four cracks and all you got to do is break through once at home and you can't, you, you don't deserve to win the series at that point. Just like you get four shots at point blank range from a yard out to score. You don't, well, that's, that's on you. Yeah, that's look, that's a, uh, a very adult perspective on things. Very level-headed, which I expect out of you with your sports takes. Yes, evil kill switch. You will be waiting forever for the Mariners. Uh, I, I, I lose forever. You have little faith in Julio Rodriguez, Trey? He's a fun player. J-Rod's awesome. But Mike, Mike Trout has been one of the best players in baseball for a long time now. And the Angels haven't won one with him, have they? No, and um, I don't think they're going to win one anytime soon. The Mariners, though, they're... That AL West ended up being tough this year because I don't think anybody I, – I didn't expect the Rangers to be as good as they turned out to be. You know, the Astros weren't going anywhere this year. And, I mean, just in terms of they weren't – the, the drop-off wasn't going to be that significant. But the Mariners – I mean, the Mariners had a great year last year. Uh, had a really competitive playoff series, uh, division series with the Astros. Um, the Mariners, did you said? Yeah. They, they, the AL West is tough, man. Except for the A's. Well, but that's that's the thing with the swing and A's, Trey. Like some years, you know they're gonna suck, and they really suck. Some years, you think they're gonna suck, and you're like a month out, and you're like, dude, they're right in the thick of this. Like, how? I don't know. Is that still the case, or now that everybody else is playing the money ball game, it's uh, not as likely that we see them do that? It's not so much. It's not so much the money ball thing. I think it's just stay, trying to stay ahead of the curve with how you identify talent and, and prop up your farm system because. Right. The, the farm system, the farm system in pro baseball, I mean, it's a lot like college football recruiting. Like if you, all it takes is a couple gaps in the pipeline to where a guy doesn't develop or in the case of baseball, like you trade a couple of guys and that creates gaps or whatever the case is, which you would compare that to attrition. And then all of a sudden you're at a roster deficiency. The difference is, you know, it's not 
you know, the farm system to major league baseball is not linear, just like now recruiting in college football doesn't have to be linear because of the portal. Like if you've got gaps, like, oh, well, if, especially if you're a school like Texas, well, you can go fill those gaps with guys in the portal if you really need to. Hmm. That's, 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 what's been, that's what's been remarkable about what the Astros have done is they've managed to replenish the farm system time and again. And yeah, they got lucky, like with the Brady Aiken draft and getting a pick back and being able to get Alex Bregman. Like, there's some stuff that's broke that they, they've got some breaks along the way. Well, they've just been really good at identifying. Too, isn't it? What's that? It's starting to run dry too, though, isn't it? Uh, a little bit now. Yeah, I mean, it's, at some point, it does for everybody. You know, yeah. can't go on forever. I mean, it's like it's like the Braves had that great run in the '90s, but you know that that didn't last forever, even though you felt like it was going to. It's been a great run, and it's not anywhere near over with just yet. Um, in my no. opinion, I know everybody is saying that this is the beginning of the end for the Astros, but they've still got at least a couple more years. Yeah. Whatever you were muted just now, Trey, whatever you tried to say. Uh, I had to tell my daughter to put the uh, iPad away. She oh. is uh, dealing with the consequences of some bad decisions, and she's sitting here making more bad decisions in front of my face, but I'm on YouTube right now, so... <laughs> Can't chastise her as much as I need to. Uh, we're we're going to go ahead and call it here. I appreciate you doing the heavy lifting today. I cried at a movie this morning, and so I'm just wiped out right now. Volleyball practice tonight. Games all weekend. World Series tonight. Uh, always appreciate the conversation, though, man. I got to figure out what I'm doing for dinner, and I got to figure out how to make my right hip pop. Man, this thing is killing me right now. It needs to pop, and I just can't make it pop. Get those, uh, Get those hip flexors warm. That might help. I'll start doing some squats. How about that? Some squats could help. Do a couch <laughs> stretch or two. Couch stretch on each leg. That might help you out. You don't want to do squats on the air, like get a little workout going on the air or something? It just depends on how tight your shorts are. Actually, Trey, I'm going to go get a Macintosh apple and then figure out what the uh, what the rest of the night holds. The night I is yours. eight Fujis today, so you're, uh, you're only seven behind me after that. Eight? How do you not have a trash can strapped to your waist? They say, don't they say, uh, what's the popular saying? Eight apples a day keeps the doctor away. Eight hours of eight apples a day keeps the diarrhea flowing. Apparently, <laughs> one of the two. All right, thanks, man. Trey, everybody have a good weekend, man. Thanks as always, Trey. Yep, as he just said, everybody have a great weekend. If you enjoyed the shows today, do click that thumbs up button. Subscribe to Texas Sports Unfiltered on YouTube. Download the free app. If you have not already, just search Texas Sports Unfiltered in your app store. For Jeff Howe and everybody else here at Texas Sports Unfiltered, I am Trey Elling. Thank you for watching and listening. We will talk to you pregame before Texas BYU tomorrow. That will be Bucky and BK and then Kevin and me on postgame. Until then, have a great start to the weekend and welcome.